0: Welcome to the Kesset Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us and hope you enjoyed today's sermon. If you'd like to find out more about Kesset, you can head to Kessetchurch.com or find us on Facebook.
1: Good morning, church. How are we? Good. Good morning. Uh, my name is Chris, one of the pastors here at Kesed. Um I have the honor uh, of introducing in just a second our guest speaker here uh, today. But before we do so, I want to make sure we're all on kind of the same page and the same journey, whether this is your first time here at Kesed or you've been here for a while. We've been in a series called The Quickening, and, um, you know, every series that we do is its own journey, but this one, I I can say, having been here at Keset for 10 years, has been a little bit different. Uh, I would use words like transformational for it, and we've gotten a ton of wonderful feedback from you about it, and I I expect nothing uh, different about today. One of the things that we have made a commitment to in this series is talk about hard things, and and we're going to do that today. We're going to talk about the subject of death. And each week that we've been in this series, we've not only picked a topic or a subject, but we've had an actual image as well that embodies that. And so um, today we're going to have the goal. Now, um, I can't think of someone better to come and share than my friend that's going to come up here in a second, whose name is Mike White. Now, if you haven't had the honor and privilege of meeting Mike, um, after today, I think you're just going to fall deep in love with this man, as, as a bunch of us have. Uh, a little bit about Mike. He's been serving as a chaplain in this area for the last 40 years. So there's, there's very few people more uh, experienced um, and have something to say on this subject than him. I can just say the history of Kassid, we're 10 years old as a church. And, as, and we had a little core team that planted this church. I was blessed to be a part of that um, when we did 10 years ago. And when we, we took a little break um, from doing ministry and we huddled in and um, we thought, where do we want to go to church? It had been weird. We'd been doing ministry for so long. We said, where, where do we want to go to church while we're kind of resting and just being loved on? And we went to Mike's church in Hawkinson. And then when we planted Kesset a little bit after that, who, who was there the Sunday morning that we planted Kesset, leaving his own church to come and support and love us but Mike himself. And so he has been, as a guy who got into pastoral ministry in my 20s, he has been an anchor in this community. And when I say that, I mean um, there's, there's a community of, of church leaders and there's some that stay and some that go, and he's stayed. And everyone knows Mike, and every pastoral luncheon or breakfast that we go to, he's there with a smile and a hug and a prayer and encouragement. And so we are blessed to have him with us here today. So will you help me uh, welcome him up to the stage, Mike White?
0: Oh, I'll tell you, um... I don't know who that guy is, but I want to meet him, you know. <laughs> Lord, I'll tell you, it is, it is great to be here with you today, to be at Kesed. Uh, I have prayed for you. I have enjoyed what God has done in and through the life and ministry here of Kesed, and uh, what an honor to get to be here today. Um, yeah, when Danny asked me about doing this, you know, uh, I'll tell you that story in just a few minutes, but it was just pretty interesting how that all came about. Yeah, I... I do know a little bit about that, but so do you, you know. Because the reality is, we're all on that same road, aren't we? We are. We're on that same road. But let me tell you uh, a little bit about the quickening. If you've been here, you understand what we're talking about. It's when your story has been, you know, rearranged and shifted and rewritten, and you're changed. You know, when something happens, uh, like Danny used this illustration, the medical one, when uh, a woman first feels the child in her woman. Her world has changed. Wow. You know, Danny went a little crazy on that one. I really loved it. If you watch that one, it was kind of fun to watch that boy. You know, uh, I actually have known Danny since he was a teenager. Uh, The whole family has been part of our lives. And so I love that. But uh, I love the passion and the energy there. So that's what the quickening is. It's when the story gets rearranged. And so are you. So we're going to talk about death. and, And my story was rearranged. On May 9th, I had one of those moments. You know, uh, I was going to have lunch with Danny. If you've been with Danny, it's life-changing, right? Yeah, so I had lunch planned with Danny, and I was excited about that. But at 6 a.m. in the morning, I was up and I was doing my devotions, and the Lord clearly impressed me. Mike, I need you to make an appointment with your cardiologist. Yeah, okay. Now, I said, it didn't come out of no place. I'd had a heart attack in 2011 and had a stent placed and And I'd had some heart issues in a few years since then, and been in the hospital a little bit. But I hadn't seen my cardiologist in um, three or four years. So it was a little strange, but I'm an obedient kid. And so I go online to make an appointment, because you can do that. And I start answering the questions. And then these two questions came up. Are you having chest pains? Are you dizzy? I said, yes, yes. And this screen, boom, came up. Stop, do not proceed. Call 911 or the advice line. Now, I've been a chaplain with the fire department, police department for 40 years since 1979 and uh, I was not going to call them. (laughs) No, I'm not going to call them. So I said, I'll call the advice line. Now, you got to understand, I have never called the advice line. So I was an obedient kid and called the advice line. I said, guys, I've never called you before. So if I'm talking to you, I'm somewhat serious about this. You know, and I told them what was going on and why I was calling, and, and they said you need to come in and we need to check you out, and I said ah, I don't want to do that, you know, typical guy, I don't want to do that. I've already been there before, and so they put a doctor on. And the doctor began to talk to me and was explaining to me why I needed to come in, and then my sweet girl walks in, you know, this bride of mine, uh, for uh, 52 years in September, so she walks in, yeah. So what happens when you're walking with this girl and she finds out I'm on the advice line knowing I've never called before? We went in. <laughs> right. So we went in and uh, I was swept up in this journey. There were tests and tests and tests and more tests. Worked my way up to the stress test, which was really fun. And, you know, I got in there and, and I, I just blew it away. And they're telling me, man, you are like a 40-year-old. You just blew this away. You got stamina. And I'm thinking, whoa, I am good, you know? And so I went back to my room, told my girl. I said, hey, babe, I blew it away like a 40-year-old. Now, that's 30-plus years behind me. I'll be 71 in September. So that's 30 years behind me. And I'm thinking, I am good. Well, the doctor walks in. I hadn't seen him before. He said, Mr. White, I'd like to talk to you about your stress test. I'm thinking, cool. You want to use me as an example, you know? <laughs> yeah, no. He says, you know, we got some problems. I said, I thought I blew it away. Well, stamina-wise, you did good. We had some really strange rhythms with your heart. And also, you know, your blood pressure went down, not up. We think you have a blockage, (laughs) and we need to go in and do an angiogram. Oh, so I wasn't gonna get to home, go home. I thought I was going home. That's what I thought was gonna happen. By the way, I did call Danny. and I did tell him, I'm not gonna make it for lunch. You know, and I said, so I'm kind of in the hospital doing a few things. He said, no problem. Catch you later. You know, Uh, at that time, he was actually planning on asking me to teach on death. (laughs) So, whoa, that was a little awkward for him. Um, (laughs) So they scheduled an angiogram for the next day. And that night, I'm thinking, okay, we'll do this. But I wasn't planning on this, guys. Uh, I was actually planning on doing a half marathon in 10 days. On the 19th, I'd been training. And see, I've, this would have been my fifth half marathon since my heart attack, because I needed a goal, and so I started doing those. I walk, run those, because I can't run anymore, but I, but I finish, that's my goal, I want to finish. And so, that was my plan. But on the 20th of May, I had open heart surgery. Now, that was fun. I remember the doctor, you know, the pre-op stuff, where they want to tell you everything. I said, doc, I'm on a need to know basis. I do not need to know. Don't tell me. Just do it, I'm good. You know, but I did the surgery. It was successful. And I wake up to this angel kiss. These, Michael, Michael, and get, I'm getting this kiss. You know, and it's my bride. And she's kissing me. And I go, whoa, I'm alive. <laughs> I'm here. You, you don't understand, guys. That is so cool. I'm here. Do you value that? I mean, folks, you are here, not in Cassidy Church. You're here in life. Yes, we're going to talk about death, but it's about life and death. What do you do with life till you get there? That's what we're going to talk about. But so I'm here, and I'm in life, and I am so excited about that. In fact, uh, they asked me, what are you going to call this message? And I don't know. So I called it a view, a vintage view from my life, <laughs> because Danny calls me vintage. You know, I'm his old guy, and he's really called me that. But he said, no, Mike, you're vintage. That means old, you know, is what it means. So, I'm vintage, uh, and the definition of death is real simple. It's the permanent end of all biological functions sustain life. When the biology stops, it's over. Just like that. You are no more here. But uh, being mortal is being human and subject to death. You see, guys, we have a beginning date and we've got an end date. And if you don't realize that, if you don't understand that life is short, You will not live life well. And that's what we want to talk about today. Living life well. You know, and and knowing that we have an end date. Um, Let me give a picture of this sweet girl. I've had some professional things that have happened. And this right here is part of my life. Berline was uh, in our church for 20 years, and I was her pastor. And uh, the last several months, I got to walk with her, Laura and I, and we got to walk with her at the church. She got really sick. You know, and then uh, this last two weeks, two weeks ago, I did her funeral. We walked with her all the way to the door, and she went through, she went through. But she was not afraid of death. She was joyful, that smile you see was her life. She was joyful all the way to the gates, and she went through. She was singing songs of praise, hymns of praise, right up to just a couple hours before she went through the door she was not fearful of death and she lived life well the word says this in second corinthians for we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down that is when we die and leave the earthly body we will have a house in heaven an eternal body made for us by god himself we grow weary in these present bodies and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing And while we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and we sigh. Hey, getting old isn't for the wimpy. Let me tell you, I love it, the fact that my kids are getting older, and they go, ow, ow. I said, welcome to my world. I love it. You know, I have kids that are 48 and 40 and 36. And so I love it. And they're going, ow, ow. (laughs) Yeah, this is good. So whether we are here in this body or away from the body, our goal is to please God. So if you don't know there is an expiration date, and that your days are numbered, you'll waste them. You will waste them. But if you know that, you will live life full on. And that's what I want to give you right now. I want to give you the takeaway. You know, I teach uh, with YWAM, and I teach in other places, and oftentimes I'll give them the takeaway. You know, I'll sum it up, and then I'll fill it in. Because I know what it's like. I fall asleep when I'm sitting there. No, the reality is I want you to take this away. Three principles to live by. Life is a short walk. Live intentionally with purpose every day. Number one, recognize life's a short walk. So live it with intention and purposefully every day. Number two, invest in things that are eternal. God, his word, and people. Those are the only things that are eternal, guys. That's it. So invest in those things, but how do you do that? Third principle, (laughs) ask the question often, where are my feet? What? Yeah, I teach a course called Where Are My Feet? (laughs) People go, what, trick question? No, because that is the only place you are, where your feet are, and be where you're at when you're there. Do you realize that most of us aren't where we're at when we're there? In fact, sitting here, you can be all kinds of places. You look like you're here, but you're not. And I do that. I do it well, you know. So you've got to be where you're at when you're there. Otherwise, you will not live with purpose intentionally every day. You will not invest in things that are eternal. Because you're either up there, oh, I can't wait until I get there. The, uh, or you're dragging the past, oh. No, this is the only place you are. And you look around and you say, what's there? And that's the mission. God wants you to invest in whoever is around and if no one's around it's you one on one with God is that cool or what so you're always on mission how great is that so that's the takeaway that's what I want you to go away with those three principles now we're going to fill them out God's word on life and death you know you got to get these words down they're really simple they'll change your life in the beginning God four words You start with God, you end with life. You start with man, you end with destruction. No, in the beginning, God created all things. God holds all things together. He breathes life into it. It is God, not man. And that's what we begin to think of in our society today, that it's in the beginning, man, I'm the sum total of all things. No, I'm not, it is God. In fact, here in Genesis chapter 2, verse seven, it says this, then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and he breathed breath of life into the man, into his nostrils and the man became a living person. The breath you have is his. <gasps> Do you understand something? When I came out of surgery, I went like this. <gasps> I can take a whole breath. I did not know that for several years I was breathing with a half lungs. I was 80% occluded. I have the widowmaker. I didn't know that. And so I was breathing really shallow. Really shallow. I always thought it was just normal. You know? But the breath you have in your lungs is from the God who's created you and the life that he gives is his for a purpose. To invest in things that are eternal. Your relationship with him through his word which reveals him Then his kids, how great is that? And you always know what to do and when to do it. Where are my feet? This is where I am. I have to ask that question all the time. You see, I'm not perfect on these things. I'm trying to do it, but I've been trying to do it for years. Solomon, would you say is the the name you would say if, if you talked about wisdom, would his name come up? The wisdom of Solomon? You'd be right. Even the world knows that. They talk about the wisdom of Solomon. In fact, he had it right early on, early on when he was young. When he was anointed king, he said, Lord, I don't know how to do this. Help. I'm just a kid. I need wisdom yours. God said, good, good. But then he began to believe his own press. And he began to see with his own eyes and be wise in his own eyes. And he had it all. He did it all. And it didn't satisfy at all the book of ecclesiastes is his reflection on life he's looking back and he goes man that didn't work out so well i had it all i did it all it didn't work out so he's reflecting on life in the book of ecclesiastes and he's saying what just happened you know the words meaningless meaningless vanity vanity words associated with that book it comes from the word hevel and it means smoke vapor It looks solid until you touch it. And life is like that, isn't it? You think you got it wired and everything's going good and it just disappears underneath you. And Solomon said, whoa, this is vanity. It looks real, but it's not. So he's reflecting on life. And here's what he says. Uh, In in, in chapter 3, in verse 1, he says this, For everything there is a season and a time for every activity under heaven a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to grieve and a time to dance. Then God has made everything beautiful in its time. You were created for time, only for a season, and then eternity. But you're created in time, to live in time, to live for eternity, and so was I. Because there's an end stamp. is appointed for man once to die. Then after that, the judgment. And we're in Christ. We're going to go and live with him. So Solomon gets it right here. And everything is beautiful in its season, in its time. It doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean I like it. It doesn't mean it feels good. But God says, I will bring beauty out of ashes. I'll do that. Then he goes on to say this. He has planted eternity in the human heart. Do you know what that means? God has put his thumbprint right here, right here. I've asked this question to so many people over time uh, in all kinds of places, in different places in the world. And I've asked this question because, you see, it's common. It doesn't matter where you live. Since God created all people, there's a thumbprint, and only he matches. And it's created for eternity. There's a longing in the heart of every person for something bigger than what you see. I've asked this question so many times. Is there something here you're just longing for? And I go, yeah, yeah that would be God. And it's his thumbprint, and only he matches. That's the relationship every culture is looking for across the globe. They're longing for a relationship with a God creator. Every culture and every human being. And so he's planted eternity in the heart of men. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. Solomon had it right. Absolutely. We don't get it. We don't understand it. We can't understand these things. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 24, it says, since the Lord is directing your steps, since he's in charge, how can you possibly understand everything that happens along the way? You can't. You can't figure it out. But God is gracious and kind, and he teaches us to continue to trust him. Hold his hand. In chapter 7, I've often shared this with people. <laughs> I love it. It says, you're going to die, and you should think about that. You know, it's not uncommon for me to talk about death. I've had to make death notifications for years. I have to go and tell someone that they love is not coming home. I've done it for years. God is very kind. Do you know when you tell someone, you don't go, well, you know, the one you love uh, is, is just, he's not here anymore. No, he's, he's gone on. I've never used those words. The one you love was killed in a car accident. He died. I use very clear terminology, and then what happens? They collapse, (laughs) and then you pick them up and hold them, and then you walk with them, because you need to be very clear about that. So talking about death is not unusual for me. It's not like, wow, I can't wait to talk about it, but the reality is we're all gonna die, and we should think about that. In fact, that's what it says in this particular chapter. It says, better to spend your time at funerals than parties. You guys been looking for all the funerals to go to? Probably not. After all, everyone dies, and so the living should take this to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for sadness has a refining influence on us. A wise person thinks much about death, while a fool only thinks about having a good time. When you go to a funeral, you are recognizing that you two are mortal. And you're thinking about what? Relationships. That's what funerals bring us to. Nobody says, oh, I wish dad would have just given me one more dollar. You know, I wish I could have just had one more thing. No, I wish I could have just said I love you one more time. Relationship. That's what it brings us to. Those things God has given us in relationship with each other. And so I look at that right there, and he says, it's better to do this because sorrow has a refining influence on us. Laughter just says, whoa, that's fun. And I am a fun guy. I love to be joyful because the joy of the Lord is my strength. But, but, but I recognize life is hard Yet God is so good, God is so good. So in chapter 12, in the very last four verses, he nails it. How should we live since we still have breath? How should we do it, what should we do? The teacher sought out to find the right words and to express truths clearly. The words of the wise are like cattle prods, painful but helpful. But my child, let me give you some further advice. Be careful, for the writing of books is endless and much study wears you out and the going along in all the social media and the search engines, you can gather a whole bunch of knowledge. Current translation. There was no printing press when he said this. Current translation, though, says, man, if you try to find the information that'll satisfy your life, it won't do it. It's wisdom. That's called the skill and the art of living. That's what wisdom is. It's using knowledge to live life well. That's why Solomon said, I need that from above. So now here's my final conclusion, he said. Verse 13. Fear God and obey his commandments, for this is the duty of every man. The fear of the Lord is using the wisdom of God, understanding he is God, you are not. He is creator, you are not. He holds all things together and you can't. Using his wisdom, surrendering to his heart and just simply doing what he says. You know, as a parent, man, I felt so cool when I asked my child to do something and they did it. Is that like awesome? Right. God feels the same way. Guys, but I'm God, and I know what's best for you. As a parent, I didn't really always know what's best, but I did the best I could. But God does. He said, trust me, use my wisdom from above to take that information and live well. My daddy was uh, one who always loved life. I love that. He wanted to be 100 years old. Anybody here want to be 100? I do. I'm like my daddy. He loved life. He wanted to be 100 years old. Almost made it. He was almost 95. You know, mama was already home. She's with Jesus. And daddy was still here. He's 90 years old. And uh, we're in a hospital. And daddy's had a heart attack, you know, and when he was 76 and had open heart surgery. It's kind of a family gift for us, you know. And so, daddy. Uh, was with him and I'm with him and so he goes into a full cardiac arrest. I'm in the ER. I step back, I've been there lots of times unseen, bring the crash team, bam, hit him, get him back. Daddy didn't even open his eyes. Did you lock the door? Make sure my stuff's okay. <laughs> you gotta understand, he grew up in the depression. Stuff was important, you weren't gonna get it back. So it was okay. So I'm talking to him, he goes into a second full cardiac arrest. I step back, crash team's still there, bam. Get him back again. Now the doctor moves up next to my daddy. He says, Mr. White, because you always talk loud to old people. Daddy had good hearing. (laughs) Mr. White, you know, you've had some pretty significant events. You know, we've had to bring you back twice. And, uh, you know, if you're going to survive the night, I mean, you're going to have to uh, have surgery. And we're going to have to place a, a pacemaker in you. And, uh, Daddy did not even miss a beat. Because the next thing the guy said, so, Mr. White, what would you like us to do? Translation, you're old, dude. You need to die and get out of the way. You've lived a long life. Quit using resources. Did not even miss a beat. He said, if you got breath, you got life, put it in. (coughs) Hmm. Doctor looked at my daddy. He looked at me. I said, just a second, doctor. I said, uh, hey, Daddy, you remember that old horse, Red? You've had maybe that kind of horse. So you get towards the barn, and they want to get you off so bad, they just run it all the way in, trying to get you off, because they know they're going to get you off. So, Daddy, you want to you run this thing all the way to the barn, like old Red? Daddy just said, run it to the barn. I said, Doc, we're going to run this thing all the way to the barn, full on. Put it in. Daddy lived five more years, full on, all the way to the barn, love and life, all the way to the last day. And uh, so I I, want to be more like my daddy in in some ways, but in this way, I want to be like Paul, because Paul says it this way. I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between the two. I long to go be with Christ, but it would be better far for, for, which is far better for me, but for your sakes, it's better for you if I stay. I want to be like that, but if I were writing this, I might say, Lord, I really want to come home. I'm really looking forward to it, but if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to stay just a little longer. (laughs) You know, I I really want to go, but I'd like to stay and live life because I really do enjoy it. You know, God is so kind. I want to run it all the way to the barn full-on investing in things that are eternal. Paul encourages us to do this. Don't you realize, it says in Corinthians chapter 9, that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. All the athletes are disciplined in training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for eternal prize. So run with purpose in every step. All the way. With purpose, intentionally. Intentionally investing in things that are eternal. That's what he's telling us right here. And then the psalmist is so quick to remind us, hey, life is short. I love this, and you read it all over the psalms. Lord, remind me, chapter 39, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. You have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. Yeah. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you at best. Each of us is about a breath. Just a breath. We are merely moving shadows and all our busy rushing ends in nothing. We heap up wealth not knowing who will spend it. I promise you that you are spending someone else's stuff they stored up because our folks have gone on. I got stuff at my daddy's and mom's in our garage. You know, if your goal is to store up stuff and treasures, wrong goal. Store up treasures where? In heaven. Those are eternal things. Those relationships with God and his word and the kids that God has created. And that's what God wants us to do. There's a story that uh, you know well. There are 10 people in the Bible that were raised from the dead, went from death to life. And, uh, but I want to talk about one of them, Lazarus. You know that story. The two sisters sent word to Jesus, Jesus, you got to come because your friend Lazarus, he's going to die. He's really, really sick. And Jesus stayed two more days. And then when he got there, Lazarus was dead. But he said this to the boys. He said, when Jesus heard about this, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God would receive glory from this. That's why it happened. See, in those hard, bad places that you do not understand, Mary and Martha didn't get it. I promise you that. God says, it is going to end in glory for me because he knew he was going to raise him from the dead. Now, we do know Lazarus died again. Even all those people that raised from the dead died again because it's a short window guys otherwise we could talk to him no but he was changed there was this quickening in his heart I promise you this from that point forward he walked into town with Jesus on that day you know when there was a price on his head that would have killed Lazarus and Jesus and at that last Passover Lazarus was by his side God changes us from the inside would we trust him he gives us courage that we don't have Personally, I've, I've experienced, you know, some things and the death just recently, that current one, which is really kinda cool. I'm here and I get to breathe, but the first time I saw death was when I was 10 years old. Sixth grade had just started, and we were just getting to know, I went to a small school, Sarah in Richfield, two classes in a room, and, and Becky was with her family one night, and they got in a car crash, and Becky was killed. And our teacher took us to the funeral Can you imagine this? All of us went to the funeral. We sat in two rows. And as we walked in, I ended up (laughs) in that, well, I ended up right here. No one sat there, but right there in that row right there, second row back, and Becky was right here. And nobody was in front of me. And I'm looking at her straight in face. And I'm thinking, Becky, wake up. She just looks like she was sleeping. Wake up, Becky. Becky, wake up. I have no idea what that guy said. No idea. Neither did I know that I'd be doing that for years that pastor guy but but i do remember what he did to say at the end okay would you please stand and come forward ah, ah my heart i was terrified now i got to go up and walk past becky but i remember walking past her and thinking becky wake up becky wake up and i walked past and becky never woke up my first experience seeing death right here i'm 17 years old i'm on my way to church on 199th, not far from the fairgrounds, I'm coming down this hill. And I could see that there was two cars coming like this. And I could tell they were going to collide and about, a, about 100 yards from it. And, and, and they collided. And two people were ejected through the windshield. That's before there were seatbelts. And then this other guy was ejected, and he hit a telephone pole. And then he slid down. I watched this man get killed right in front of me, about 100 feet from me by the time I stopped. And I saw him get killed right in front of me. And I remember the guy in front of me says, go call an ambulance. Because <laughs> we didn't have 911, obviously. And so I ran up the hill and called an ambulance. I was by there yesterday looking at that house that I ran to, that intersection I was at. And it was like yesterday. And I remember walking back and here's this man. He's dead. And the two people were two children ejected. And so they finished with me and then I went on to church. It was only about a little, little less than a mile from the church. I we were going up to the pastor's office. The door was shut. And I opened his door and I said, don't tell me there's a God. I just watched a man get killed and his two kids. And I slammed the door and I walked out. Didn't go back. God was kind. He took a young man and he he brought him back. My pastor was kind. and They brought me back. And I ended up back and God was kind to teach me some things during that. In my late 30s, I was 38 years old, and I was swimming out of Battleground Lake with my kids. And the girls had gone out there in, in the middle of the lake, and there was this dock. And so I'm a dad, I was just going to swim out and swim back with them, you know, just, just to kind of keep them safe, not, not make a big deal about it. So I, I, I jump in the water to swim out there. I'd swim out there many times. I grew up here, I'm a homegrown kid here. And so, uh, but it was a 19-year-old brain with a 38-year-old body. <laughs> and I dove in, and I get almost there, and I went down then it went down again. And I realized I am not gonna make it. So I turn around to go back, and I get back to that, uh, that rope, you know, the, the swimming area. And I just remember reaching out and grabbing the rope. I'm safe, I don't think so. So I'm floating down to the bottom. And I'm saying, Father, I didn't really plan it this way, but take care of and kids. And I remember my knees hitting the bottom and I just rolled over. The next thing I know, I'm spitting up water. I got to the surface, I have no idea. We got to the surface, and they took me to the hospital, and I had pneumonia, and I was really sick, almost drowned. I'm 49 years old. <laughs> Must have been one of those great sermons. I, you know, I was pastoring at Hawkins Community Church, and it was about five years in the church there at that time. And, and uh, after church, I'm talking to Lar and, and, and Tamara, and we're in the coffee room, and, and I said, you know, I don't feel good. And the next thing I know, <laughs> Tamara's right in my face, saying, Mike, talk to me, talk to me, and I'm going... I am talking to you, then I realize I'm laying down and she's taking my tie off, you know, and that's when I wore those things. And uh, so, but, and then Laura, I can hear See, he's coming, he's coming too, he's coming too. Then the guys got there and they put a nitro under my tongue. Bam, just like that, headache. You know, they get me in the rig, second nitro. Bam, just like that, headache. Then I get to the hospital. First thing they do is give me a nitro. Bam, but, I, but I'm stable. And you know, and so the room kind of clears and I'm all alone, and Laura's gone to tell the kids. And then I go, whoa, I don't, I don't feel good. <laughs> they put a natural patch on me. They had stopped my heart. <laughs> and so I went down, and the crash team came in. And, you know, and I'm saying, well, Lord, I really didn't plan this, but, you know, you know what you're doing. And uh, I had this uh, moment. I hear this guy right here. We're getting him back. <laughs> We're getting him back. And I'm going, good, you're getting him back. No, that is really good. That's me. And it got me back, and I was so excited about that, you know? Do you, if you have grandchildren or kids, they keep you humble, right? They remind you you're old. They said, you're old, Dad. Papa, you're really old. So I drive this old car right there. Uh, it's called Keeper. And I've um, been driving that thing for 13 years. It's my daily driver. And I'm standing around that car one day, and my grandboys, grandkids are standing there. And the boys are saying, hey, Papa, when you're not here, who gets Keeper? Well, I'm not going anyplace, so I don't know what you mean. Oh, Papa, when you're not here. Well, I don't have any trips planned or anything. Papa, when you're not here. Oh, I think that was Jack. I'm not going to say that, Jack. But, 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 you know, when I'm not here, what do you mean? Oh, when I'm not here with, oh, home with Jesus. And so I said to them, I said, guys, wouldn't you think that Jonathan, my son, he would get it? I mean, we took it apart and put it together. And you hear this, oh, Uncle Bob gets it, except for one boy. You mean I get it after dad? <laughs> he jumped over me, his father, and it was his car to this day. You know, he, it's just kind of funny. So that, that's an old rusty piece of metal. It's shiny, but it's rusty. But what do I want to invest in is this next picture. It is my grandkids. There's 13 of them in that picture. You know, two you can't see because they're in the womb, little Lydia and, and, and Ray Lee. And then there's two that aren't there. And then we have two in heaven. So we have a total of... 17 grandchildren. You know, we have two great-grandchildren that bunch. And so we're excited. That's what I want to invest in. I want to invest in people. And then then I just bought this old car just just recently. Uh, Well, recently, last year. And it's an old hot rod. I mean, it is a full-on crazy rat rod, big engine, crazy stuff. I bought it to do with my grandkids to get their hands all over something is why I did that. I'm investing in eternity. It's a piece of old rusty metal, but it's fun, Rusty metal. But I'm doing it to invest with my kids, my grandkids. We're going to paint it uh, this blue color. It's really going to be fun. It's called Old Blue. But that's what I want to invest in, guys. Things are eternal because I know life is short, and I am not going to be here. And they're going to say, well, you remember Grandpa? Remember what he did? Papa did this? Yeah. So when I did his funeral, I said, just like this, I said, he was just a little boy. I have no idea why God took a little boy and a family to tell a story that's larger than any of us. It's a story about God and his faithfulness, goodness. Luke got cancer and uh, he was diagnosed and we found ourselves. <laughs> Our world was changed. The story was being rewritten forever. And uh, we got a scripture, Joshua 9. This is my command, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid of discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That scripture weathered the storms all the way from the diagnosis to his last breath when we were setting with Lukey, and he went home and he went through the gates. Guys, God is faithful. God is good in those hard places. We got uh, another picture in the hospital that very first night, Luke says, "I need prayer. <laughs> I need 100 prayers. I need 500 prayers. I need a thousand prayers. You got it, Luke. I need infinity prayers like the stars in the sky." That became a symbol of hope for us. stars, not stars. The God-breathing star God. God breathes stars," it says in Psalm 31. "Out of his mouth. He created everything and holds it together. That became a symbol of hope. Stars. We call them Luki Stars. When his mama asked him after his first bone marrow transplant, "Luki, how you doing? He wanted to know how he's doing. He's in remission. Mom, I do not have time to think about the bad things that could happen. I'm too busy thinking about the good things that have happened. Oh, God is telling a story way bigger than us. Way bigger than us talking to his brother, Jake, who was um, 12 years old at the time. Luke, he was nine at that time. And, and anyway, uh, I'm sitting on the floor with Jake. We're doing Legos or doing something. I don't remember what we're doing. But we're working on some stuff here. And he's got his eyes down here. And I said, Jakey, how you doing? It's so the last week, week and a half of Luke's life. He's downstairs in the bed, the hospital bed, and we're upstairs. And, and, and he says, Papa, I'm happy and I'm sad. And he says, I'm happy that Luke's going to be with Jesus and I'm sad that he's going to be with us. He's still looking down like this. And then he raises his eyes and he locked with my eyes. And he said, but Papa, why us? Why Luke? Now, I've answered that question a lot of times. I've been asked it a lot of times. But this was my grandson about my grandson. But I gave the same answer. I don't know, Jake. I don't know why. I said, can I ask you a couple questions? I said, how about if we give this cancer to Jack, his big cousin? He's strong. Maybe he can make it through. No, Papa. Well, what if we give it to to somebody you don't like? No, Papa. I said, Jakey, has your dad ever done anything that you don't like, that you don't understand? He said, yeah. I said, get used to it. He's going to do a lot more. But do you trust him? Do you trust him? I said, Jake, the question's not why, the question's who. Who do I trust when life turns left? Who do I trust when I, I can't figure it out, when it's so hard I can't breathe? I trust God, because he is trustworthy. He is good, and that's what we learn through those things. When it came back the third time, Luke asked the question, is this going to kill me? His mama asked her, answered with the word, Luke, our days are all numbered, and you get them all. Okay, Mom. Okay, Mom. Mom, when will I see you again? He asked. And she answered with a word, that a, that a day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day to the Lord. So for you, Luke, for us, it, it, it's going to seem like a long time, but for you, Luke, it's just going to be a blink. See in a blink, Mom. You see, he's telling a story way larger than us when we're willing to invest in life. God is telling that kind of story. There's a park that you may know about. It's the Luke Jensen Sports Park. Why did God use a little boy to tell a story larger than us? I don't know. But in that park, there's two things that remind you of who God is. There's the plaque that says, I don't have time to worry, think about things that could happen, bad things. And then there's a star on the top you may have never seen, it's a blue star, created by some Christian artists. Tells a simple story of hope and faith. You know, the first time I realized that I was gonna die, that I was mortal, was when my brother died. I was 40 years old, and he was 41. I loved him, he was my best friend. He died unexpectedly. We found ourselves, my sis and I, standing over the casket. We were the three little ones, you see, because we were all one year apart, Pete, Carey and I, and they have two older brothers and sisters, two older a brother and sister older. And so we're standing there, and, and Carrie, he says to me, it's just the two little ones now. And there's this picture you're going to see right there. It's a picture of Pete. He had these, this, this picture right there. You see it? And, and right there on the end, he's flipping his hand out with these two Aggies in it, you know, just kind of a fun photo. It got him right at the end. Those two Aggies. It was so fun, <laughs> you know. And so I wanted to do something for my brother. I love my brother. I love my brother. And I wanted to do something for him. And um, so I took these two Aggies. But before I got to that spot, in that place, in that point, I'm just like you. Life's hard. When I got the call from 911, because they called me personally, we think it's a family member, I went to the scene, didn't make sense, but it was next to my mom and dad's. And he wasn't there. And so I, I go on to the hospital. And and I get there, and there's right in those doors at the hospital where I'd stood many times to greet people, to tell them the one they loved was dead, was standing my sister, my older sister. And she said, Peter's gone. And I said, No, no, I'm just like you. It hurts so bad. That was June 24th, 1988, and I still feel the pain. It doesn't disable me anymore, but I feel the pain. And I was so mad. God, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? And God was kind again. And he drew me back to himself. When I was standing over Pete's casket, I had these Aggies, and I took them out of this jar right here. You see, when we were kids in the 50s, we played marbles. You may not know that game, but we played marbles. And these are the marbles we had when we were kids. My mom kept them, and so I have them. And so they're in this jar that they've been in. And so I took two of them out of here, and I took them to place them in Peter's hands. And so I'm standing there, and I reach down. And I begin to pry open his fingers. And I realize they're cold and they're clay. And my father says, Michael, you're clay. You're going to die. You need to live life well. That was the beginning of the journey where God began to tell a story in me larger than me. He began to work some things in me, that quickening moment where I was changed forever. Now, like I said, I I was pretty ticked off that my brother was gone. But these principles that I talked about right at the beginning, let me tell you about them again. Let me bring you back to what I started with. Life's a short walk. Live intentionally with purpose every day. That picture you see right there, (laughs) is me when I was a a little boy, if it comes up, but I was not even quite a year old, you know? He's so cute, you know? (laughs) And, and, and And then the next picture is me when I'm 10 years old, when I saw Becky for the first time, just sleeping, but no, she was dead, she was gone. And then the next picture is when I was 17 years old, and I saw this man get killed, but it was also the year I got to meet my sweet bride, and we've been going together since. And the last picture is just last year, we were in Athens, Greece, and we were working with YWAM. We were working with refugees, you know, and, and we were loving on them for Jesus, investing in eternity. I'm, I'm with this old grandfather in this pod that we put in our driveways to put our stuff in, but that's what he lived in with his grandkids. He's just like me, same age, Muslim grandfather. My heart just went out to him. I wanted to invest in this time with him You see, it doesn't matter. Wherever God takes your feet, God has someone for you to love, to build relationship with. That's why we're here. We get to be here with a purpose and a plan. Guys, so my encouragement to you is live life full on all the way to the barn. Run it, run it hard. Don't quit. Take as many people home as possible. The church has for you some Aggies some marbles they are going to give them to you when you go out. And so, would you take that marble and put it someplace where you can see it? And be reminded that you are clay too. But God says, now i got a purpose and a plan for you. You're going to live full on. And you're going to run it all the way to the barn. Loving Jesus. Investing in eternity. God. His word. And people. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for me. Live it full on. Amen? Jesus, thank you for this time. You have so reminded me how frail I am, how short life is. God, I love the fact that you breathe into us your breath for your purpose. You give us life, not so we can just fritter it away, but so we can invest it deeply in those things that count for eternity with you and with your word and with your kids. Lord, we want to run it all the way full on, fully engaged, taking as many people home as possible. We're going to leave all that stuff here. And Lord, that's okay. We're going to take as many people home. Help us to do it well while we're here. We love you so much. Thank you for life. Thank you for letting us be here today. Jesus, in your name we pray. For your purpose we pray. Amen.